The following program is brought to you by Podcast One. Recorded live backstage, this is Geffen Playhouse Unscripted. Now here's your host, Rory O'Malley. Hey folks, welcome to the Geffen Playhouse Unscripted. My name is Rory O'Malley. I am your host. Today, our guest is Quy Gwen, who is a Vietnamese-American playwright and is the writer of the new show at the Geffen Playhouse. Do not miss it. It is called Revenge Song. It is a collaboration with his theater company, The Vampire Cowboys. They are very, very cool. This is very different from anything the Gavin has done before. I would say that it's basically a Quentin Tarantino movie on a stage. You will not want to miss this show, Revenge Song, at the Gavin Playhouse, now until March 8th. Here's my conversation with Quee. Hi, Quee. Hi, man. How you doing? I am so good. I am very, very excited to talk with you because... I haven't seen the show yet, Revenge Song, that's going to be premiering here at... It is premiering here, right? Yeah, yeah, this is the first time... First time it's ever been done? Ever been done, ever been done. That's always very exciting. Yeah, and it? terrifying. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. You have no idea if you just made like a big pile of garbage or not. Yeah, but yeah. If, if it's not terrifying, then that would just mean that you didn't care. You oh, know what I mean? True. That is very, very true. Yeah, Everyone's yeah. scared of putting something out there into the world for the first time. It's nice to know that even incredibly talented writers like yourself are. <laughs> oh, all the time, all the time. <laughs> uh, so it's the first time this has been done, and I so I haven't seen it, but I read the script. And I can't wait to see how you put this down on paper from your head and put it up on a stage, because it is incredible. It is, I think in the beginning you say it's it's a kind of like a Tarantino film. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, that's how it reads. Yeah. At one point, it the stage direction is, and now the most epic sword fight that's ever happened on a <laughs> <Yeah>. stage. <laughs> like, well, no pressure to the fight choreographer here. No, not at all. Not at all. Like, <laughs> I, I like to, I like to push my teams. Absolutely. Where did this idea come from? And uh, tell me about the, tell me about the story. Well, uh, my company Vampire Cowboys, like we, we we're kind of well known in New York. We've been. Uh, when we were kind of doing our shows yearly there, uh, basically we would do a show, and then directly after we did our show, which was always in the spring, we would then ask our audiences, like, hey, what should be our next show? Like, what should be, we'd crowdsource the genre for the next season, and then right. we'd get all these, you know, like, oh, it should be a horror show, or it should be a sci-fi show, or you should do it about this. And then by that fall, I would have written another script, and then we'd workshop it that fall, and then we'd do it again that spring. So it was that, that was the cycle of things. And uh, at one point, someone went, suggested Julie Dabonie. They were like, this is the character that you, we would love to hear your voice doing. And I've gotten it year after year after year. Like, this is someone you should write about. This is someone you should write wow. about. Wow. Was time, it just the same audience member? <laughs> no, it was, yeah, well, you would think. It's right? demanding that you do uh, it. But, uh, but yeah, she's kind of a big figure in, like, you know, the LGBT community sure, yeah. as well as the, as, as, like, the fight, sword fighting community and stuff yeah. like that. Uh, and so, so this was a figure that they really wanted. But at that time, I was like, I don't, I don't do biopics or anything like that. I, yeah. All my ideas are original. I don't want to be stuck to anyone else's IP or anyone else's life story. I just don't do that. I don't know how I would even approach it. And then in between doing the Vampire Cowboy stuff and this, I'd written another play uh, called Vit Gone, which was just an independent play outside of Vampire Cowboys. 
that took all the vampire cowboy techniques when it comes to stage combat, hip-hop, puppetry, multimedia, and I applied it to my parents' love story. So I took a real-life story and applied it and I crammed it together and did a lot of anachronistic things and ended up being this, like, really fun show that has done very well. Incredibly successful. Yeah, and so then seeing that that works, uh, when when the Geffen commissioned me, when, when Matt was like, hey... We would love to do something with you and your, your your crew. What would it be? I was like, you know what? I, since I did it with people I know, what would I, what would it sound like if I did it with someone that I'm not related to? How does Vampire Cowboy exist there? How does that? How do I evolve something that came from Vampire Cowboys, went into like a personal thing that I wrote, and then bring it back to Vampire Cowboys? Uh, how could how how would that look? And so that's seeing the story, this name that kept popping up. I decided to do some research on her and. I was blown away. I was like, holy right. crap, like your real, her real life sounds like something I would have made up. Right. But it is real. Like all the crazy stuff, like, it, like we'll be put, doing a lot of like cool staging from like fights and songs and uh, martial arts and puppetry and all that. But the base story, the crazy, crazy stuff that happens in this is all her life. And to, to I mean, the harder thing to juggle with a real life story is real life stories don't work like a plot they're not like i need to destroy the death star (laughs) i have to find the princess before the death star it's like she fell in love she had she was wrong she like it it didn't line up like a story so it was trying to find that way into it that i could tell a story from a to b right uh, because you're tethered to the truth to the roadmap of what that what actually happened Happened. and the timeline in which they did it and so that's what made me chop up the story and tell it like a tarantino like pulp fiction yeah i was like oh i'll just take the bits and tell them separately and so it's kind of an anthology of her life uh and made it made it a lot easier to digest because it is a life Mm -hmm. um but it's been super fun to explore and, and and put this together with this team um, this is the first time that Vampire Cowboys have produced a show of their own in Los Angeles. Is that correct? That is one hundred percent. The other plays have been done here, but not by yeah, not you by guys. my team. Like this is my team, yeah. and this is your twenty year anniversary. Or this something? is my twenty year anniversary with this team. Wow! <laughs> yeah, yeah. So tell me how Vampire Cowboys originated and what you guys do. Uh, well, we started uh, in like. Th- the the origin is like always in two parts. Like the first yeah. part of it was with me and my director Robert Ross Parker. Like we went to grad school together. Uh, in our first year in grad school, we were assigned to work together, and I had to write a ten minute, minute play, and he was going to direct it. And that's how we were going to introduce. It was like our calling card into the department. We wrote it over the summer, showed up week one. We were introduced like a bad dating game, right. and I gave it to him. And, it, and at that point, I thought I was a very serious writer, and I wrote a very dark sequel to. Uh, Dukes of Hazard, and it was like a ten-minute thing about terrible, terrible stuff. Uh, but he directed that, and like at the end of that, he's like, uh, "That was weird, and you're really dark." And he was like, "I'm going to do fancy, you know, Shakespeare shit and our stuff." <laughs> Sorry. I, oh, it's fine. That's fine. We're unscripted here. Oh, okay, say awesome, anything. awesome. And I thought also, I was like, oh, "I'm going to be, a, I'm going to be a fancy writer. I want to write serious stuff too." Um, and then like like months into the program. Uh, we we quickly realized we weren't those people. Like basically, uh, we were watching all the our peers do Chekhov and Ibsen and things like that, and you could tell they weren't really connecting with the material. Hmm. It always felt like a stepping stone for them to one day be in a movie or TV show where they actually got to play themselves and play right. characters that they were really excited about. And the other part of it all was uh, Robert had you know th- that seeing our, our peers go through that, we were like, oh, it's a shame that they're going through that because I think theater can be cool and contemporary and fun. Uh, but really what kind of like 
caught that got Robert and I together was we ran into each other in a comic book store. Um, and this is 1999, and right. I have to give context for it. Like this is before the MCU, before right. you know comic books were cool or any of that. So like I always say, like you know bumping into someone. And a comic book store at that time was like bumping into someone in like an adult bookstore. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. always had to hide the fact. That's for like uh, my yeah, kid yeah. brother. This is yeah, for a friend. Yeah, yeah, it's not yeah. mine. Yeah. You put in that brown paper bag. I'm running out of here. But yeah. you know, once we were, once we discovered that we both had this kind of whimsical childish sides to each other, uh, we got into like a real conversation. We pushed away the like I want to be fancy. I was like, what do you really want to make? And this is the stuff we wanted to make. And we're like, okay, then, well, we have a semester off. Let's just make a show. Let's just see what happens. Like, no one's telling us we can't. We're in grad school. Like, the worst that happens is no one shows up. Right. And we showed, we created the show called Vampire Cowboy Trilogy, So we just, which was just about, like, vampires, cowboys, and, like, a whole bunch of superheroes throughout different generations um, that dealt with, like, you know, violence and things like that. So it was, like, twisting what you – taking genre and then twisting it. But it was all, like, popular genres. It was film noir – uh, superheroes like Batman superheroes and then the final piece of the trilogy was uh, at the time a very contemporary Buffy the Vampire Slayer seeing the Princess Warrior mashup uh, yeah. and so so we did that and it was really popular and we're like oh and we kind of did that every year in grad school but then we left we graduated went to New York and thought oh well that was a fun thing we did in grad school that we was the have, kid stuff that was the kid stuff we're, we're, <laughs> again we went we thought we were faster than we were and we're like we're never going to worry about that ever again um, and then uh, I got a grant, uh, or I got a fellowship from New Dramatist. Um, mm-hmm. It's an organization for playwrights that support playwrights. Um, that's kind of a clubhouse there called the Van Leer. Uh, and uh, and I, it came with like 10 grand. Five I used to kind of quit my daytime job, which was waiting tables. And then the other five I decided to, I was going to put up a show. Uh, uh, Robert, and I was like, hey, we should start a theater company. And Robert is a little older than me. When I say a little, very little older than me. But like he had... <laughs> been out in the real world and started theater companies before and he's like let me we, tell you something let kid. me tell you something kid <laughs> uh, these theater companies don't get you nowhere like yeah. he had no interest in doing it at um, all but then once i said oh i have five thousand bucks to put up a show he's like right. well, well if, you, if you got some money well, let's, let's, let's make a show we'll yeah, make a show yeah, yeah. and so we casted our roommates and we, we produced we rehearsed in our, our living rooms we got into a festival and so our roommates went up and did the show and literally no one showed up yeah. <laughs> like zero people showed up this was uh, in New York it was in New York at, at a theater festival called the Midta- Midtown International Theater Festival okay. because Robert and I had only, or I had only done shows uh, in school where people just show up because yeah. they have to right. not because you had to advertise or anything right. like that and so the only people in our audience during the run uh, was a reviewer Martin Denton with the, and, and his, and his uh, mom Rochelle and uh, and then this one person who I had met because I had rented a rehearsal studio from her while while rehearsing, Abby Marcus. Um, and she came and saw the show, and she was the only one there. And she was like, oh, wow. She actually really liked the show. She's like, you know, you guys are good artists, but you're terrible producers. Well, I'm studying to be a producer. Why don't you let me take over your company or <laughs> give me what yeah. you have and let me produce you guys, and you can be the artist that you want to be, and I'll just produce you, and I'll – figure out a way to get us an audience. Uh, and that's what she did. She, wow. she then immediately like sat us down or sat me down and was like, uh, was like what, what makes you you? What are the things that excite you as an artist? And I made a list of what I enjoyed and loved and all that. Um, and at that time, we Vampire Cowboys had this really generic mission statement that was like, you know, we're trying to be a cutting-edge theater that you know, services a new audience or something like that. And she, she laughed and I was like, that's... Every theater. 
Yeah. Every theater is trying to be innovative and trying to get a new audience. What makes you special? And so she kind of pushed me, and I was like, oh, this is, you know, I like superheroes and comic books. I'm trying to make superheroes for people that look like me and, and LGBT community. Like, that's the stuff that, that, that makes me excited. And she's like, oh, you're a geek. And I was like, well, well, that's a mean way of putting it. And she's like, no, no, but that's, that's kind of your thing. You're like, like th- we could be a geek theater. And I was like, what's that? She's like, I, that's just something that I'm making up. We're going right. to call ourselves geek theater. I was like, cool. You know everyone's going to call mistaking it for Greek, right? Uh, They're going to think we do Greek theater. She's like, okay, we won't call ourselves geek theater. We'll call it, you know, and so yeah. we, we, we became Vampire Cowboys. We had a name, but it was always like Vampire Cowboys, like number one geek theater in America because we were the only one. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. that made it really easy. Before then, like nerd culture was before the, the nerd cool culture. Thing. And this was the funny thing that happened. She that she she, invent, she basically kind of like took all the stuff that Robert and I was doing and gave us you know a title and a mission and and kind of like figured out a way to organize us and then she did one small thing that kind of changed our lives which was she invested two thousand dollars of her own money to get us a booth in this small thing that was coming up in New York called New York Comic Con right. and right when we had a booth there. Uh, she kind of looked over and there was an empty stage. She's like, oh, what's that? You know, asked the organizer, what's that stage for? I was like, well, that stage is for our speakers, but we don't have very many, so it's kind of empty all the time. And Abby's thing was like, oh, could we put stuff on it? And they're like, sure, we would love to have entertainment. And she was like, oh, well, what we're going to do, she called me up, she's like, get all our, you know, like, well, just, it's very base, but she was like, get all our female actresses that are cute, we'll throw them in cute costumes, and you're going to choreograph kung fu fights and that's what we're gonna do all day and people see it's like we're vampire cowboys and that's how we got our first audience wow but that was also at the same period when geek culture started to explode yeah first captain america came out first iron man came out batman by christopher nolan came out and suddenly the tide suddenly started shifting at the same time that we came into existence right and suddenly people were like oh i'm happy to tell you that i'm a geek i'm happy to tell you that i love fights and, 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 you know, serialized stories and things like that. And so they just kind of naturally found their way to Vampire Cowboys. And then literally two years after never having a single audience member, we then never had an empty seat for like a decade or a decade and wow. a half or something. Like, and it still was like that. And we came, became like, you know, when you sell out like that, like it's hard for the New York press not to – give you some attention sure. so then we got our first reviews and those reviews were like oh I want to see more of this and you know I got my first agents and theater started to contact me and that's kind of like the growth of Vampire Cow it was very organic very natural and it was uh, due to some dumb luck you know well it's also because you had the courage to do the thing not that you were quote unquote supposed to do mm-hmm. when you get out of school you did the thing that you loved right. that that like meant something to you that spoke to you even though it wasn't the pop culture phenomenon that it is now yeah yeah what do you think uh i have one of my best friends from high school uh nick Lowe, who uh we were both huge theater nerds and he loved comic books and i would always be like you need to put those comic books down and do something serious like <laughs> musical theater you know like right. i was like you know come on we're we're in high school now we have to be serious yeah and he now is the editor at marvel comics of spider-man like of the actual oh, wow. comic book wow so he's been there for a very long time since since he left college but he has such a a love for theater and comic books and there's such crossover there like of the of the comic fandom and theater fandom, 
What do you think those two, why those two worlds work so well together? Uh, I mean, I, th- I think that we're all kindred spirits. You yeah. know, like, I think the coolest comic book kid and the coolest theater kid weren't very... <laughs> Not too far at the lunch table Yeah, yeah, other. exactly, exactly. <laughs> and so I think that a lot of this, uh, like, I mean, there's, I, I meet all the time, like, uh, people who work in the creative arts. Like, yeah. you know, it's not just theater, it's, it's Hollywood, too. Um, that, that are all, like, D&D, played D&D at one point, or read comic books at one point. Like, you know, we're always the ones first in line to go see the new MCU movie. Like, we're all kind of part of the same thing, and the same love and, and obsession that we have for pop culture. It also translates to our love for musicals, love for Hamilton, for yeah. example, that love for, for, for theater, you know, because the same way you can dive in and get really... Because that's the thing about geek culture, right? It's the ability to just really love something for every bit of its nuance, right? right? And that's what, you know, someone who loved, I don't know, the, you know, the, like uh, Spider-Man, like mm-hmm. they, they want to know every bit of his legacy from like when Stanley first created him to every iteration, every storyline that he's gone through to his rogues gallery. Same thing happens in theater. Like people who love Shakespeare, people who love Lin-Manuel Miranda, people, like they want to know every bit about these guys. So the same passion is very. I think it's it's a, it's a kindred spirit like yeah. theater and and like pop culture geeks have, and so it's not that it wasn't it honestly it was never that hard to find an audience for us. Like once Abby put us out there, uh, you know, I always think of like her as like the third, like it was like the three headed monster, myself, Robert, and Abby, and Abby really was the one who was the one who was able to shine a light on us to get everyone to, to like be the lighthouse in which all the geeks could go, Oh, there's a place for us here. Right. Uh, and we're all just looking for homes, right? Like, right. like in life, like we're all looking for our tribes. Uh, and, and there was, it was just a natural fit that the niche people who love both comic books and theater were like, Oh, here's something for us. And, yeah. and they really enjoyed that thing. It was also the, I think the fun thing about uh, doing theater, doing this pop culture stuff was the people got to meet the actors right away. Right. Right, like in a movie, I might love Chris Evans, but the likelihood of me bumping into him after seeing the movie, very unlikely. But you can go see a show, and then literally right after the show, meet the person. And it's super accessible and super fun. Uh, And it's it's neat to see all the big action sequences happen in front of you. You know that there is no trick to it. They're just doing it. And and I think that's always exciting to see. Yeah, there's something so electric about doing live theater, whatever the genre of that theater is but to have a fight sequence and to have the kind of action that you have in this script in this play revenge song i mean i can't wait to see how you guys do it uh, <laughs> like, we may wait. be terrible at it. you like i'm i'm very confident that it's going to be fantastic yeah. but it's also like anything can happen every night you know yeah. it's like that's why you have to rehearse even before every show there's like a four, fight yeah, fight call fight call that. yeah i mean this is, it's going to be exciting. It's very different for the Geffen to have Oh, yeah. I, I still, I can't, you know, like, as I told Robert, <laughs> I was very clear to him. I was like, if we do this show on the Geffen stage and people are like, oh, good for you. You got a show at the Geffen stage. We have failed. People need to be leaving this hot house going, I can't believe the Geffen Theater let you do that on right. their stage. Because I, I think that the same mischievousness, the same kind of ambitions that we had as a downtown theater company in New York has to exist on that stage right now. And half of that is being a little outrageous, seeing how far we can push it, um, and, and we'll, we'll see how it plays. We're also 
couple decades older than we were, so we're <laughs> we'll see if we don't all break. Wiser, you're all we're wiser. wiser. That's yeah. what our, our bones and muscles think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about the other part of this show that's really exciting. It's a musical. Yeah, yeah, kinda. Yeah, absolutely. Kinda. There's a lot of songs. There's a I lot mean, of songs. lyrics. I've yeah, seen there, lyrics. There I'm are, like, there are a lot music, of music, yeah. so I haven't seen it yet, but I've seen a lot of. Yeah, yeah. Uh, story being told through song yeah the, the funny thing is like for the longest time that was always my secret ingredient right like mm-hmm. i always when i did shows i hid the fact that they had music in it right and now you know doing this for as long as i have and especially after vid gone became what it was people now know that that's part of my right. thing they all know that i have songs they know that i have hip-hop numbers they know that i invest in the musical theater part of it as well because uh, i'm you know i always think of like the poetics like aristotle's poetics and that sounds real geeky but I always think it's about like all the elements sure. of, of you know of telling a story, and I've always I never thought of music and spectacle not being part of telling theater, right? right. Like sometimes you see a show where it's a two hander and they're all talking about their emotions, and that is legitimate theater, obviously. But I'm always like, oh, but for me, what makes theater fun is using all the elements, using right. the spectacle, using the music, using dance. That those are things that I often think that people always think that when doing something that's realistic or poppy you kind of want to get away because it feel, makes it feel unreal. And I was like, well, I don't show up to theater to make it... I don't want a real... Right. I want to escape. I want, you, you want fantasy. You know? Yeah, I want it heightened. And honestly, that's what makes me love it. You know, right. like, I love... You know, I keep using Hamilton because it's, like, the biggest show ever, right? I, I love Hamilton because of his heightenedness. Right. If you just did it completely, like, straight with, like, people talking in colonial English, I'd be like, oh, great. I kind of don't give a crap. Right. But the fact that it is what it is... Using hip hop, using music, using dance—it uh, literally is the reason why I go to it over and over again as a piece of inspiration. You know? Right. Well, I mean, you can—you t- know, these stories, especially historical dramas. You know, it, it, the story is what it is, but sometimes it takes a different person telling it to get it to come across to yeah. a, to a new audience to to have somebody finally hear it. It's not just about the words; it's how you use them and yeah. you know verse to me always draws me more into a story whether it's sung or not like right. hearing some kind of rhyming scheme well it's it, i think it's it's uh, you know I, I remember i forgot who it was maybe it was josh whedon or something i remember seeing it uh like an interview with him and he was always like oh the the cheapest piece of spectacle is just really good dialogue you know yeah. is, is the words and yeah. if you can make them sing uh like verse mm-hmm. uh like it, it, it it's it's just it's just a piece of cheap magic that you can have beyond just like you know. I'm I'm trying to do literal magic sometimes yeah. on the stage, but that's just one of the one of the quickest entry points to right. go. Oh man, I wish I could I could speak that smoothly in life. You know? Right. Let's talk a little bit about the the show that you brought up. That's um, autobiographical of Viet Gone mm-hmm. and where you came from. Yeah, because yeah. you have such an interesting personal story. You were born in Arkansas? I was born in Arkansas. Can you tell us a little bit about that play and what it's about? And yeah, yeah, absolutely. Your that, origins. That play Your is, origin story. Yeah, my origin story. It is my origin yeah, story, yeah. absolutely. Like, li- quite literally. Yeah. It's my parents' love story. Yeah. They, you know, they're, they were Vietnamese uh, refugees. Uh, my dad came over... Uh, as a soldier, he he, flew, he escaped on a um, helicopter, landed on the USS Midway during the fall of Saigon, and then the you know the helicopter was almost pushed off into the ocean, so he never could return to pick up his family. 
he was married, had kids, mm. and was separated from them by trying to escape, uh, you know, the invading forces into Saigon. My mom left a few weeks earlier. Uh, her English wasn't great, but she worked for an American company at the time. And uh, she had a fiancé, and they offered them, as they were leaving town, they're like, whoever wants to come with us as we leave, bring our company out of Vietnam, you can come with us, you, and you can bring a loved one. My mom didn't quite, her English wasn't great, so she thought they were like, we're gonna, we'll bring you on vacation. And so she grabbed her mom instead of her fiance and was like, I'll just, I'm going to go, I'm just going to go on vacation with you guys. And then when they landed in Wake Island, which was kind of like the, the port before you came to America, she's like, they're like, oh, you've escaped. She's like, what do you mean I escaped? Right. Like, no, no, that's it. And so she was separated from fiance. And so uh, when they went to the relocation camps, meaning they, they, there's four relocation camps in America where they took in the refugees and then tried to find a way to relocate them, like, you know, help them learn English and just kind of uh, figure a way to make a life here in America. And one of those places was in Fort Chaffee, Arkansas, where my parents ended up, and they met each other. And as uh, the, the story I was told as a child, when they met each other was love at first sight. What I learned to find out uh, as an adult <laughs> when, I was, uh, when I was interviewing them for all this, my mom's, I remember giving interviewing her just like you are me right now and going oh so mom so the story was it was love at first sight and she laughed at me i'm like why did you just laugh it's like oh you're a 30 year old man you know that shit's not real <laughs> we just had sex it's like wait what it's like yeah we were just we were sad and lonely and we're like ah oh, let's just do it your dad was married we didn't think it was a big deal and then of course you know with that with hooking up as many times as they did they started to develop emotions and feelings for each other right. and that is what kind of finally brought them together when they realized they were never going back to vietnam yeah. And they were never going to be reunited with them. They decided to unite with each other uh, as a couple, as my parents. Um, and that became the basis of this story, of it gone. Like, I, I was like, oh, I really want to tell that story. As a, as a base thing, I just want to tell a story, tell their story, because I've never seen a love story, one set in a refugee camp, about Vietnamese refugees. And I wanted to tell it in a way that my kids could see their grandparents and see them vital and strong and sexy, mm. uh, being people that they could look up to and want to, uh, you know, because I think that, you know, my parent, my kids are Hapa, they're half Asian, half uh, Jewish. And so I feel like one half of them is very much, uh, you know, taken care of by, you know, pop culture and Hollywood media and stuff like that. There, there's powerful depictions of white Americans. But the Asian side, I don't think as much. And so it was important that I kind of, uh, create those superheroes for me. Right. And so that that's what VidCon really was for me, a, a chance to create heroes for, for them that happened to be people they're related to. But then, uh, again, I never thought that it would ever become a thing. I wrote this thing, and I, I decided to make it hip-hop and all this weird stuff because I thought, ultimately, I was just going to write the stories for me. I, as a kid, like the basis, the origin stories of why I wanted to be a writer in the first place was to write my parents' story. Yeah. And I always thought that I would have to grow up and become mature, and one day when I'm much older and much more mature, then I can tackle the stories of my parents. But then I realized, you know, as I, as I had kids and my parents were getting older, I was like, I'm never going to be that guy. I just got to write the story the way I'm going to write it. And it was commissioned by South Coast Rep, which is like the Geffen, a very, you know, fancy theater. Yeah. And I was very much like, oh, there's no way they're going to produce it. So I'm just going to go for it. I'm just going to make it as me as possible. And the opposite happened. It was the fact that I was as me. It was written the way it was with all the hip-hop and all the, the theatrical tricks that made them go, we want to produce it. And then 
that kind of became honestly the the play that changed my life because mm. one for on a personal level it was a story i always wanted to tell two it was a story that was for my family for my mom my dad for my kids um and way for me and my wife too uh and then and then obviously it opened doors for me uh to to have an opportunity like here at the geffen but also just as a calling card into like all the other mediums that i now write in you know? right so, well i mean it, it, it's as a writer to write your story literally gives voice to who you are as a writer as a person so i mean i can see how it's not just changed your life and meant so much personally but your career yeah you know kind of yeah well, it goes, always comes down to like that that question that you know executives always ask like why are you the only person who can write this right. well this was really easy i was these are my parents <laughs> like yeah, like, yeah i'm the only one who can write because i'm the only yeah. one who gets to hear the story so hmm. that that made it very very Simple yeah. on, on that, on how to answer that question. You know? How did your parents feel about you writing it? <laughs> uh, one, they've never seen the show. Oh. Uh, two, but two, they, 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 I think they were very moved. They were yeah. moved. Uh, at first, they were like, you know, they're very humble, you know, Vietnamese parents. They're like, why tell our story? Why? What makes us special? And my response was always, you're not special. Hmm. You know, the reason why I'm telling the story is because you are one of literally like 70,000 people who have a story very similar to this. The only reason your story is being told was you were the ones who birthed a writer. Right. And because you had a writer's son, your story gets to be told. But right. it's not because your story was unique out of these guys. Right. You know, out, out of the, the your peers. It was because... Like, it doesn't have to cross this threshold of being special to be told. It's yeah. because it's other people's stories, too. too. Exactly. That was what made Universal, what made me passionate in telling it, that it was part of the American fabric of, like... A generation of people that became Americans became Americans this way mm. and felt important that this was put into that big American yeah. world. And so that was what was important and why I wanted to write it. The reason why they'd never seen the show was after it became a thing, my parents were super excited. They bought tickets. They were ready to fly out to see the show. And they saw the reviews. and They were great and wonderful. And I was super excited for them to read them. But then when they read them, they are like, oh, that's really about us. Uh-huh. And I was like, Oh yeah, what do you think I was in? He's like, oh, I thought you were gonna make us like vampires and cowboys and superheroes, and I was like, no, I was just gonna tell them your story. And like, oh, that's really sad. <laughs> and I was like, oh, of course, of course, you lost people you really love. It's like yeah. so to sit in a theater for two hours to relive those experiences, uh, experiences honestly they haven't really talked about since they told me about it. Yeah. Um, one was a wake up call that like my parents had not spent a lot of time really dealing with the trauma. That they went through, you know, forty years ago, uh, but uh, you know, but also that you know that I had not even considered it uh, because I just assumed like, oh, because it had been forty years, they had like gone to therapy or something at some point. And I was like, oh no, culturally they don't, they won't, right. they wouldn't even consider that. Yeah. Uh, so it also opened a doorway for me to talk to them about it, for them to talk about it. Finally, now they love telling me stories about that period in their life, but for the longest time they would never. Uh, so it has been really good things, but they still, you know, they have the play. It's sitting there in, you know, their house. They, my dad's like, I'm planning on reading it. And I'm like, but he loves reading the reviews. He loves seeing like the different productions across America. Thrilled for your success, yeah. you know. But absolutely, I think the biggest thing is they love seeing the actors who portray them, like oh, more right. than anything else. Because like you know, because of how the characters, how I've written them, they're you know, the guys always like. You know, it's always, like, some screen, like, very sure. pretty guy. Like, Raymond sure. Lee played him here. Very sexy dude. And my mom is always played by some gorgeous, like, actress. And they're yeah. always like, ooh, that's who we are? That's uh, who I look like? <laughs> look at me now. And so they always take it as if this is, like, past pictures of themselves. I'm yeah. like, great, but Dad, that guy's, like, 6'1". 
you're five six. That's not really a true yeah, comparison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, ah, shut up. In my mind, I'm six one. Yeah. I'm like, gotcha, gotcha. Let me ask you though: Did you write it thinking that they would see it? I did. I did. Yeah. Was that hard? Like, how do you do that as a writer? How do you put things to page and not think about their reactions to it? Uh, well, I, the 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 truth is, like, the very first thing I ever got produced professionally was a play that was about my cousin's journey to America. And I wrote it in grad school. Um, it got produced off-Broadway. But I was a grad student, and I got a lot of notes. And, you know, I was like, oh, you know, it's weird that the protagonist is so young. Maybe you should bump up their ages. It feels like it needs an antagonist because, you know, he's just kind of like at sea. Like, so I basically reshaped the story to a story that didn't resemble my cousin's journey at all. Like, unrecognizable. But then the other thing to it was, I they're like, oh, it's, there's a lot of humor in this. Maybe you know, it's about people who get lost at sea trying to escape, you know, a wartime Vietnam. Maybe you don't do that. So that made it very, very serious. Mm-hmm. It was produced in New York uh, by a very reputable company, Mai Theater, and like it, you know, like it, 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 it did well. You know, there was there was definitely those who really, really loved it. But but the people who didn't. Were my parents like mm-hmm. my mom and dad went and saw it opening night? We had a standing ovation. And everyone was having a great time. And I look over to my mom, and I could tell she was just utterly confused. Uh, and I assumed she was confused because the story had made some poetic licenses, so it wasn't exactly my cousin's story. But that really wasn't it. And she, I was like, "What? What is it?" It's like it just doesn't sound like you. And I was like, "Mom, you've never read anything I've ever written. Why? How do you know what I sound like?" It's like I know who you are. You are funny and rude and surprising and mischievous and you're all these things. And yet when I look at that stage, none of that is up there. Zero, none of it is up there. Like, uh, it's, like it's like you trying to act like a grown-up and that, that's not who you are. Wow, And that, that was my mom. And that kind of <laughs> – and I, in a negative reaction to it, was like, well, screw you. I'll I'm gonna I'll I'll make some shows and I'll be me. I'll you tell see, me if you yeah, see and that like became that. Vampire Cowboys. That was right. part of like what made Vampire Cowboys so bold was a reaction to my right. mom's like some of our like, big successes are proving our parents wrong. Yeah, it was right? just in spite of right. <laughs> uh, and so, but then but then now she's super excited because like every time she sees like a show of mine that's not one about her yeah. or, or or something about it, she's like, oh, that's my kid. Wow. That's the person. Who I raised. That's, That's the person a perceptive I knew mom my whole life, you know. Who does know you. Like, you know, yeah. I mean, a lot of parents would just say, like, if it's successful, if people are standing, then I like it too. Right, to, right. To be able to know you that well yeah. and be confident enough to tell you well i mean that's a i think that's an immigrant thing too. <laughs> okay. like immigrant moms in general i mean yeah. especially asian immigrants are very blunt yeah you know like they're yeah. not you know so they're very much like oh i don't like it you know right and so you know they're like oh you got fat and like i know no they've been more, they've been know? through enough to like not beat around the bush oh yeah, the yeah there's there's no like uh they don't have to be polite yeah <laughs> they've earned the the right to right. not be polite you right know? right um I, I really want to see that show as well, but I'm so glad that you are doing a revenge song here. The script is incredible. Your writing is incredible. Uh, I can, I'm sure there are going to be people who are talking about it after they see it. Whether they say they can't believe the Geffen allowed you no, to right. do it or not, I don't know. But they're going to be talking about it. And I think that there's a lot of great theater that's happening in this building. And this is such a great departure from the the norm and mm-hmm. it's pushing boundaries clearly you 
and vampire cowboys have been doing that for 20 years. So yeah. we're all in for a treat to get to see what you guys do on that stage. Um, oh, thank I'm you, really, man. really excited about it. So thanks for talking no, with absolutely. me. absolutely. Thank you for having me. This was great. Yeah, this was a fun time, Is man. there anything else you wanted to add? No. Come see the show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, they, they, they will. <laughs> if they're listening to the Gaffin Playoffs Unscripted, they're coming. All right. So good. <laughs> That was my conversation with Kui Gwen. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, go see Revenge Song at the Geffen Playhouse until March 8th. And until then, please subscribe, rate, and review the Geffen Playhouse Unscripted, brought to you by Podcast One. Thanks for listening to Geffen Playhouse Unscripted. Be sure to download new episodes every month right here on Podcast One, on the Podcast One app, or on Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to rate, review, and share.